In a world where every Canadian NHL squad has made the playoffs, except for the Leafs, and the Oilers, of whom that's not really a reasonable expectation anymore, join our heroes, Rob and Mike, as they chat about the one thing to get Nick's mind off that god-awful train wreck of a season, the future. Hello, and welcome to Season 2 of Future Chat from Unwind Media. I'm Rob Attrell, and joining me from across the great country of Canada is my co-host and yours, Mike Attrell. Nick Maddox, our seasoned senior contributor, is also here today to help us open the second season of Future Chat. If you're a first-time listener, we're glad to have you with us today. Each and every week on this show, we aim to bring you all of the week's greatest science and tech news. Today's episode is brought to you by Audible.com. You can get a free audiobook download and 30-day trial by visiting audibletrial.com slash unwind. They have over 150,000 titles to choose from, as well as apps for your iPhone, Android, or tablet. Now, uh, we've been on a break for the last month, and there's a lot to get through today. Uh, Nick, let's start with you. What have you been up to for the last month? Uh... Well, as my intro suggested, a sort of complete and abject depression. <laughs> and uh, is that only school or is that hockey and school together? Oh, that's mostly hockey. Like school's <laughs> mercifully almost over. Like I actually have one week left. I'll be done Thursday. But uh, yeah, this uh, has been a trying time. Yeah. And Mike, how about you? What have you been up to the last month? Well, I haven't been in school, and the Flames are doing significantly better than the Leafs, so I'd say on both accounts, I'm I'm doing better than Nick is right now. <laughs> I think... <laughs> thank you for the, that t-shirt, Nick. <laughs> oh, wow, nice. Okay, Nick, Nick's on board. I'm glad, glad to see. <laughs> yeah, well, there's no way I'm cheering for the Habs or the Senators, so... It seems like every team is doing significantly yeah. better than the Leafs, so that's not really saying and much. You can't Except remember... The Oilers. Of yep. whom that's not really a reasonable expectation anymore. <laughs> and you can't forget the ABC rule. <clears throat> Anyone but Canucks. So that's is that, that kind of leaves you. It is here. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. I had no idea. Yeah. Now you know. Hmm. You should, uh, Nick, on the back of your flame shirt, it should say in big letters, ABC. <laughs> is that... Uh, I, no? I don't I don't hate the Canucks like... I. Oh, well, you will. You know. Being being in Calgary and a Flames fan, he will hate the Canucks. <laughs> I'll I'll take your word for it for now. <laughs> All right, so uh, <laughs> we we don't really have any follow up because it's been a month. So uh, there there are a few things that have been sort of stuck with us for the next or for the last month. So we'll we'll talk a bit, a bit about them today. But for the most part, we're just going to jump right into new stuff that's happened in about the last week. Uh, so Nick, the first thing that you have here is a story about a massive telescope. A 30-meter telescope, in fact. Yeah, and so this is, I read it was three times bigger than the current, the next largest telescope. Yeah, something like that. I was just glossing over it again. I think the biggest is like 10.9 meters at this point. Yeah. Although... uh I guess when this thing finally gets built and they're, I think they're committing like almost a quarter billion dollars over 10 years. Canada is. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, but Europe is trying to come out with a bigger one that should be completed slightly after this one. So, yeah. I mean, it's all great for astronomy, right? It is. Yeah. So, the, Mike, you want to say something first? I was, I was going to say, does telescope size work the same way as skyscrapers, where you can just stick a needle on top and it kind of makes it that much higher? Not so much. They're referring to <laughs> lens diameter, so... Okay. Just thought I'd throw like, that out there in case they hadn't thought of that. Yeah, if you want to throw on an extra needle, it's like an extra needle and a factor of pi. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's not nearly as easy. Uh, so the big announcement was not that this telescope is being built, but that Canada is putting in, like Nick said, a quarter of a billion dollars over the next 10 years to build it and I guess probably maintain it as well. Uh, so this telescope is being built on top of a volcano in Hawaii. And there's in Hawaii, there's quite a bit of controversy apparently over the building of this telescope because yeah. it's, yeah, apparently it's like the mountain is of religious significance. And so, well, that's how that's going. Yeah, so there are a lot of people, native Hawaiians, protesting the building of it. But from what I'm reading, it seems like everybody, including like historical foundations and people that are trying to maintain the integrity of the Hawaiian landscape, were all consulted and all approved with the actual plan itself. So I don't, this seems kind of like a, a story of people not paying attention to government procedure, which is all too common. I was going to say that is just purely shocking. I can't believe that people aren't, you know, glued to every single action of local government. Yeah. Um, I was going to say, but yeah, like research, research is great. But to give context to one of my previous statements, I'll also just mention that I think it was Friday. The, the, the phrase that was uttered by the teacher was, and research. We spend all this money on research, and what do we ever get out of it? This was one of your teachers. Yes. Oh Apparently, gosh. I was. I like. I heard it, and I was just like, "I'm writing notes. I am not even engaging right now. I'm just going <laughs> to work diligently on these notes I'm taking." <laughs> but apparently, like the head of you know twenty three of my peers just slowly turned to look at me for that one. <laughs> 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 just trying to see what you're going to say. Yeah. And then there you are pretending not to react. Well, he was, he had also gone on a, I think he was trying to be funny, but he had also gone on a rant about how they're trying to make black holes at the large Hadron collider. And what a terrible idea that is. That that they're trying to make black holes there. Not that they might, but that they're actually go. That's their aim. <laughs> Oh, he, he was talking about how they're trying to discover uh, black matter. Mm -hmm. That's a synonym of dark, right? I, uh, understandable I guess. confusion. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. So the thing that confused me, and maybe, uh, I don't know if, Nick, you can shed any light on this. Um, it's so funny because it's a telescope. It, yeah. <laughs> so far, the best telescope for seeing really deep into space is the Hubble Space Telescope because it's actually in space and so you don't get any atmospheric distortions that tend to constrain a lot of the land-based telescopes. So do you have any idea why this is, why they're going big on Earth instead of 
building? Um, well, I mean, you have to consider that if you're making a 30 meter telescope, uh, if you want to make that space based, that's a lot of stuff to get into orbit. Right. And, of course. You yeah. Know, then assemble and everything. Um, but actually in the last while, uh, I can't remember what the exact time scale is, but there have been some advancements in astronomy where they've like computers have gotten better for compensating for atmospheric movement, which okay. seems odd because it's, you know, by definition, or it's not by definition random. It is deterministic, but it's still about as close as you get to random on earth. Okay. But like there was some big project that they were trying to get to with the Hubble. And then I think it was another Hawaiian telescope or something in the southwestern states on a mountain. They just managed to do it right, or they managed to scoop Hubble basically because they just computers got better. So, I mean, there's still a lot of stuff you can do, and it's a whole lot cheaper than taking that 30 meter telescope and putting it in space. Right. Are there not certain measurements that kind of only work? on the rotating reference frame that the earth provides such as like parallax type readings possibly i haven't the foggiest idea what would be helped by a stationary thing though the changing over time and the apparent brightness and position of spatial bodies that's I'm I'm just throwing yeah, ideas yeah. out there as far as why it might be more beneficial to and plus more eyes on the ground is better than just relying on the one in space. Sure, no, I, I yeah, I'm not arguing against telescopes. It just I mean the, this new telescope is 10 times bigger than the Hubble one. I just looked it up. It's 8 oh. feet across. <clears throat> That'd be um, a great argument to have though telescopes they're a bad thing <laughs> what do you get out of them well i mean that, that's what the hawaiian Spend all this money saying. on telescopes and what do we ever get out of them <laughs> black holes don't they know what black holes do <laughs> they're made of black matter jeez uh, that's a very reductionist argument obviously <laughs> <laughs> um all right, anything else to say on this telescope? I feel like we have a lot to cover, so it's the telescope is is being constructed. Yeah. We'll keep an eye on uh the these protests that are happening on Mauna Kea, the island or the the volcano where it's being built. Yeah. Yep. Um so up next, Nick, you want you wanted I guess me to talk about changes to YouTube and competition to YouTube. Did you have anything wanted- you wanted to say or you just want to hear me think well i wanted to hear you and mike think because i mean i mean i look at it and i'm like yep that's a funding model but i just expect you guys to have more to say about it than i do so which part specifically uh the whole like well vessel pretty much and youtube going well we gotta do something (laughs) well i have a feeling that youtube has been planning putting a funding model in place for a while now this the announcement by, by vessel might have fast-tracked it but uh they're also pretty different models so for our viewers that may not know what we're talking about yeah. 
I'm, I don't feel that that's the case, that there's any viewers that don't know. But I, uh, I don't – for the record, I haven't heard this vessel thing. I missed that in the news. Oh, my goodness. So, yeah. Oh, you don't Unless I heard about it but Internet. didn't hear it by name. But Doesn't listen to Hello Internet or apparently have any of the like five or six RSS feeds that I have. I, that I do, but I might have missed it. So uh, why don't you – for our benefit and our viewers. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. Vessel so, – oh, yeah. go ahead, Nick. I was going to say long and short, Vessel is a subscription service and for your subscription money – you get early access to videos and then they come out on YouTube a week later, something like that. Yeah. One week exclusive. But the, in, in exchange for funding, they ask for, uh, exclusive access. Yeah. And it's, did you say $3 a month or $3? Yeah. $3 a month. I, I don't know. It's something like that. Although Mike's brow is just furrowed. Are, quite are furrowed these videos at the moment. From specific creators yeah oh, so like, they have they have a few people that have signed on oh okay veritasium being one of them okay minute physics and minute, minute earth physics. being another now the puzzle's getting put together gotcha yeah they got a few big names cgp gray in hello internet was famously not on it although he was asked he he definitely was asked uh so the the interesting thing as nick alluded to or even explicitly said is that YouTube has this week said that coming soon is a fun is a subscription funding model where I think they're looking at between ten and fifteen dollars a month paying for YouTube so that you don't have to see any ads. Between ten and fifteen dollars a month. This is being a voluntary. You can see it. You can just continue using it as normal. I I mean like ten to fifteen a month for ads. That's ads make YouTube a lot of money. You really do. But not the content creators necessarily, I no. suppose. No. <laughs> <laughs> that was very veiled sarcasm. <laughs> so I just I just realized how pertinent it was to us, like right after I said it. I was like, oh yeah, we're on YouTube. <laughs> I, I think they're looking for to to sort of ease people into that model because creators are going to be getting I don't know how exactly they're planning on splitting this, but they're going to get 55% of 55% of the money from the subscription fees are going to go to creators and 45% is going to go to YouTube. Mm. So based on how many people watch which videos, that 55% is going to get split among everybody. Like, let's say it is um, $10 to make the math easy. That five fifty of your subscription would be split among whichever videos you watched. I understand the concept of 55%. <laughs> no, I, I just mean, we don't know any more about it. I'm not trying to explain the concept of percentages to you. I'm trying to say that what it means is that you would take, if, if you, if you watch, have say, 10 bucks and then, you have 55% of it, Nick. That's five. That's the least important part of what I was saying. <laughs> the important part was after that, the 550 getting split. Being divided among those people. If you watched. Who you watch. If you watched in over one month, if you watched one CGP Grey video, you watched 45 videos that Brady uh, puts out on computer file, number file, deep sky videos, periodic videos, all his channels. We're not. We're still not sure whether it would be based on how long you viewed these videos for. If it's based on um, just the number of videos you watched, there's 
there's not really any firm information about where that 550 would go based on which videos you watch. So they're trying they're, what the argument is is like the, I don't think necessarily and a lot of people don't think that CGP Grey should get no like a very small percentage of the money just because he puts out videos very infrequently. Mm. But so they're arguing it should be based on it should almost be based on if you watch a video on that channel then they should get some of the money, not it shouldn't be based on frequency of release by the people. But there are other people who say, well, these people are working harder. They're putting out more videos. Maybe they do deserve a bigger piece. Maybe they should uh, call up Jax and try and figure out a good impact factor. That would be Jax. that would be an interesting solution. What's, yeah. Jax Journal of the American Chemical Society. Um, they, so they rate in scientific journals. I, I think that's people. just all journals, but trying well, to no, take but, a stab at Jax. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they get they get a higher impact factor based on the number of people that cite articles in that journal and versus the number of articles they cite or something. There's a complicated sort of formula to figure it out. So mm-hmm. if YouTube did something like that, I wouldn't be super surprised, but it would probably not ever be disclosed. You'd just get a certain amount of money and have to be happy with that or go somewhere else. Yeah. I think... I think that model or this implementation of that by YouTube is, is almost like a big screw you to both the creators and the ad agencies. Yeah. Because everyone loses, really. Except YouTube. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's kind of like, yeah, it's like we don't care about the ad people who pay the bills. We don't care about the creators who bring in the ads. Yeah. We, so, I don't know. It's not, yeah. It's strange. But where also people going to go? That's kind of the other thing. It's like, yeah. What are you going to do? Sign up with Vimeo? Ha <laughs> <laughs> I, I tried Vimeo a while ago, like a long while ago, and it was very different and not as good. <laughs> I don't know. But I've, I've watched stuff on Vimeo. It's not bad. It's just, no, watching it's fine. I mean, videos. putting stuff up. Yeah. And then there are people like CGP Grey who are going out of their way to diversify. And rather than going on Vessel, he is now hosting his own videos elsewhere and using RSS to distribute them, which I find pretty interesting. Because he, he's got enough funding from Patreon and from, I guess, from YouTube ads. He has enough to not depend, and, not need to depend on monthly subscription fees from anyone. And he has actual sponsors now. Right. Does he? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it's interesting because now now that they, that happened because they got into podcasting, um, they hooked up with one of the – what would you call them? They're not like podcast networks, but they're, they're podcast advertisers. So they basically middleman uh, between podcasts and advertisers so that podcasters don't have to worry about getting advertisers. And uh, oh, what are they called? So then the agency says, hey, we have CGP Grey on board. Come advertise with us. Yeah. Right. Um, I think it's called Standard Broadcasters. But, Rob, uh, yeah. did, your, did your feed just get super laggy? What happened there? I was talking really slowly. Oh. 
I was just talking syllable by syllable because I was typing as I was trying to find it. I see. Yeah, so oh, man. Uh, you could just do that anytime. That's crazy. There, <laughs> there are four shows that I listen to that uh, that advertise with Standard Broadcast Company, and uh, they're all like they're all very expensive and have big followings. So it's ah, it's something that supports those kind of people. <laughs> Neat. Uh, okay. My, is there anything else you wanted to know about Vessel or YouTube or? Sounds pretty straightforward. So is Vessel its own video hosting service then? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Um, I'm, I'm pretty interested. I actually just, I haven't, I signed up for Vessel and I haven't looked at it since I first signed up and I just went back just now and there is a new video from Veritasium that was posted six days ago so I'm guessing tomorrow there will be a new Veritasium video on YouTube <laughs> oh boy yeah um, so I'm pretty excited for that uh, so up next uh, Mike you have a story here about the FCC yes I do I, I thought this is interesting I don't think it's a super it didn't seem to cause an uproar and maybe it sounds worse than it is uh but it looks like i know in the past we've talked about privacy of data on the internet and what we release and trying to keep our photos private and our you know our home address private and all this kind of stuff and i think it's been brought up on a couple occasions how we do that kind of trust in people on a daily basis with our electric electrical company with our government with whoever uh, they have data that we're trusting them to keep safe and it's stored who knows where under what security we don't know um, and I think this this story is, is a good example of, of how things can can be infiltrated or or exploited um, that the FCC fined at and uh, 25 million dollars for theft of uh, client data um, and the the long and short of it is that it was a inside job by employees or now former employees uh, that were in cahoots with various groups, I guess, that were trying to buy this data. So they'd give the employees the phone numbers of the clients they wanted data for or a demographic or whatever. Then those employees would gather that data and then sell it back to the people that were requesting it. Um. So I don't know if it was like a network of employees working together or on a one-on-one type solo basis, but in any case, it was discovered that this data was getting sold and those employees obviously got fired and uh, the FCC fined a on its own end to uh, recompense in some sense the uh, that violation. Um, so I don't know what your guys' thoughts are on, on that. I, I don't know. I, it's it's very low level hacking because it's not even like computers were broken into or anything like that. It's just straight straight you know go to a person and say, hey, can you get me this data? Is so what what's our takeaway from this story? It says two hundred eighty thousand customers. Was it were these all on a one by one basis? Oh no, I mean I mean the employees. Oh, like looking up two hundred eighty thousand yeah. individually. I don't know. That would take a long I, time. I I don't know if it was like give a, give me all the customer data from this date to this date or whatever, but right. 
Uh, if, if they knew SQL, I'm sure they could do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Reasonably. <laughs> yeah. It seems like 25 million isn't enough. Yeah, that's it's I mean, about a thousand dollars per customer. Yeah. Well, a hundred. Oh, no, yes. Ten. Oh, that is low. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they always, I mean, it, it, it always strikes me as not enough punishment when you get like, it, it should be a per- percentage of the total money they make. Like 25 million sounds like a lot to me, but that's like a drop in the bucket for a company as big as AT&T. Right. So, yeah, I don't think it's enough, needless to say. Yeah. It, it sounds – they almost downplayed the severity of it by saying that the data itself was, for the most part, metadata. Like, they didn't actually identify the customers in any usable sense. Um, so, yeah, I guess without knowing the nitty-gritty of it, then we can't really say how severe the data breach was. But I think just the basis of – employees going and selling data that was essentially confidential to that company it's kind of uh unnerving to say the least dickish perhaps <laughs> yeah another way to say it yeah so, yeah, um, so that's that's 25 million dollars worth of dickery right there there's a story here that i've heard before and i just quickly looked it up on the wall street journal they uh people i don't know if it's oh at, at mit they analyzed metadata of credit card transactions and were able to identify 90% with 90% accuracy the person that was responsible or that did it. And I've heard the same or possibly even better with metadata for um, phone calls. That was one of the big things in the Patriot Act is that they say, they were saying, we're not wiretapping you. We're just, we just have the location, the duration of calls and the I think they had the phone number of both ends of the call. And I was like, we don't have any of the content of the call, but the metadata is enough to plant to paint a pretty big picture of what's going on. So it's almost mm-hmm. like, oh, it's just metadata. Well, that's that's a lot. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Anything, so I, I think, uh, yeah, what what's going on? I, oh, just I think this goes this is a good example of, you know, those that you know, won't download Facebook Messenger because of privacy that you don't have to download an app to have privacy breaches. Yeah. It, any data that you would have lost by installing an app like Facebook Messenger, you probably already don't have privately. Yep. On that note, uh, just <laughs> 10 seconds shout out to Facebook Messenger for uh, making uh, its Messenger interface available on uh on web browsers messenger.com Go check thanks it facebook out. yay nick i know you won't use it don't you don't even have to say anything <laughs> i know i don't i'm smiling like on camera and everyone else is looking at me like eh, eh, eh. <laughs> oh man i do i really do like facebook messenger and uh now i don't have to use the stupid facebook messages thing the tab on uh, facebook.com which i'm pretty excited about i am actually excited about that kind of although i don't know i usually have a facebook tab open and then people are just like oh nick must be here i'll start talking to him it's like nope i'm long (laughs) gone it's just open on my computer (laughs) 
Uh, that's good. I mostly use Facebook Messenger for group conversations now. The people I talk to one on one are some other thing. Yeah. Pigeon. No, <laughs> I wish. <laughs> Love pigeon. I miss XMPP. Um. Okay. So on the topic of national security and uh, all all of the like, uh, there's. I just want to talk briefly about passwords because last week tonight interviewed edward snowden on uh, on the patriot act and all on his whole story and how nobody knows who edward snowden is in the u.s and people that that maybe did know don't have the facts right um there was a little he did like a, a really long interview in the last week tonight last week was 45 minutes instead of the regular <laughs> 30 minutes and then they released last week's last week tonight. Yeah. And the, so they released uh, an so extra two weeks ago tonight. <laughs> no, one week ago tonight. <laughs> it's like the reverse of oxed week tonight. <laughs> I was going to say. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, so there was a bonus segment that they released online uh, about passwords. And it was John Oliver talking to Edward Snowden about passwords. And basically just trying to say that, again, reiterating that replacing characters is something that the password hackers are already doing. So like replacing characters in a password in a, in a normal word or replacing letters with other letters doesn't protect you anymore. I just wanted to briefly, as Mike and I did when we checked up last week about technology, um, I haven't heeded all of this. Keep everything you have online. We've, we've sort of both instituted the same thing of keeping important stuff online, but not keeping everything. Um, are we all using, are any of us using password management services like one password or anything like that? Or do you mostly stick to Chrome password management? <laughs> I'm not, but I think it's probably a good idea. It's just the only thing holding me back is that I want to be able to access these things on my mobile. Yeah. Well, yeah. So one password has a pretty good app for Android and for iOS. Oh, cool. And I assume it's a password. It's a password to get into one password. Yep. So you use, you have to remember one (laughs) long secure password to get to log into one password, but then it stores and can auto generate long passwords that are stored and only encrypted with your master password. So at no point does your master password ever go onto one password servers anywhere. It's just used to encrypt your your full thing of passwords, which you actually get to keep as a file. Hmm. Which is, I, I don't use it, but I, I know quite a bit about it and it's really interesting. They have stuff like you can create one-time pa- temporary passwords for services. And uh, it's, yeah, it's really interesting. So that they, those kinds of passwords can expire after 24 hours or after a set amount of time. <laughs> I, okay. But I don't like- have anything worth protecting. So I feel like my passwords are secure enough at this point. At a certain point, I'll probably something will get hacked and I'll have to deal with it. But my passwords from what I've put, like they have all those Microsoft.com, I think, had a password checker um, that they uh, that I read about a year ago or so where you could enter the password you have and it would tell you how long it would take a computer to crack. We actually did a like an exercise in what's it high school where you would just, you know, have someone enter just a password and then have the program brute force it 
yeah. and then tell you how long it took to brute force. And it's it's really not a long time for a computer to do it. Right. Yeah. Unless you get up into the, I mean, 9, 10, 11 <laughs> characters, it'll, it's going to take. It, it, it grows exponentially. If only with, there was some way we could calculate how long it would take. There is. I just told you about it. it, it or my program that I wrote. It's something like if you have eight characters, it's like three seconds. And then if you have nine characters, it's it goes up to like safe a week. to say it just grows exponentially. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's the number of characters to the exponent of the number of characters or the number of available characters yeah. to the exponent of how many characters in your password. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Which is why they want, you know, you to use special characters and numbers, but like XKCD's Randall Monroe pointed out, the level of difficulty of cracking yeah. is much, it, it's much more difficult for a computer to figure out if you just have a very long password rather than yeah. a password between eight and 13 characters with one capital, one special character and one number. As you can say, like, I think that he actually broke it down there, too, because if you have, you know, like some wonky password that you're not likely to remember, it doesn't take very long. But if you have a longer one, like uh, my horse likes to eat salted popcorn, it actually takes a really long time to crack that. Yeah. yeah. The uh, the example they used on last on the clip of last week's night is Margaret Thatcher is 100 percent sexy, 110 percent sexy. Is it though? <clears throat> is Margaret Thatcher are debating, or yeah. <laughs> are we debating how sexy she is? I just watched the clip and I'm pretty sure it's 110%. And I'm not surprised because power is sexy. <laughs> she is she is a powerful woman. <laughs> Iron Lady wielded a lot of power. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna go find this because Oh yeah, you're right, it is. It is 110%. The, um, I know. I know I'm right. I, I looked it up, and the headline of the article that talking about it has the same error that that I then passed on. Wait. So I'm going to take partial responsibility. Wait. None of us have lower thirds today. That's fine. Okay. Everyone knows who we are. It's season two. Yeah. <laughs> do, do you want us to all go put them on right now? Is that... <laughs> Is that something I, that's important? You don't to have to. Honestly, you don't have to, but that's what I'm going to do oh. right now. Okay. Uh, we will move past that. Mike, do you want to tell us about this battery story you've got? I do. Uh, we're always looking out for news when it comes to battery efficiency and uh, capabilities and technology. So uh, they recently released news of developing a aluminum ion battery. Uh, that uses a liquid electrolyte, so it's not a solid solid battery that the nickel, cadmium are, and the lithium yeah. ion. Yeah. Uh, so this one is liquid-based, um, which gives it the convenient property of being flexible uh, while still functioning. And apparently, they've developed the 2-volt prototype that charges fully in one minute. Wow. Yeah. So... That's pretty impressive. Um, also, because it's... I don't know what property of it. I think it's just the fact that it's aluminum, but I guess it doesn't easily burst into flames or explode. 
when it's also important penetrated or punctured it can even still function even if it's punctured apparently uh, no i i don't think that was what they said they said when it's drilled into it can still function i think they said when it when they drilled into it it won't like catch fire or kill anybody okay i could be mistaken but i thought i heard it that it would continue to function but i might be miss might have misread that uh but i guess right now they're cautiously optimistic just based on the fact that this is more of a proof of concept and now it's up to everyone else to kind of make the battery actually uh realistic to use in today's applications because most things these days need more than two volt battery charge um Hmm. for example phones use i believe five volts (laughs) for the most part yeah um so just to clarify this this uh drilling thing it says you can drill through it it will continue working for a while longer without catching fire but it seems like it will eventually catch fire but it did say working for a while longer yeah. yeah it so we're both right I don't know. It's based on ionic liquids, though, and I don't know how it could continue functioning if those leaked. I don't know. It's just the electrolyte that's liquid. It depends what a while is. The anode and cathode are solid, apparently. Graphite graphite and aluminum. But you need the electrode (laughs) or the electrolyte to carry the charge to make the battery work. Right. So as long as the liquid doesn't deplete, then you're fine. Maybe a while is like if you three drill seconds. a hole in it, the liquid will deplete. I'm if pretty keeps sure. If you drill bit inside the battery, then what what liquid would come out? Oh well, that might work. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. What the hell is my problem? Ah, <laughs> uh, that I like. I I really like this. I I'm always interested in new battery technology. I'm sure we'll have a story when uh, Elon Musk announces Tesla's new battery thing is it tesla or is it just his tesla right that's doing the it's, new battery it's, it's not just him i don't i think it's mainly him but kind of also tesla okay it's kind of like actually sorry because it's, it's not really car related his battery thing but tesla doesn't but have to doing, just be cars right sure <laughs> i was actually most interested in the uh, life cycle of the battery here Oh, yeah, that was the because other cool thing. Because the typical lithium-ion battery lasts about 1,000 cycles, according to the uh, the article. But this this one actually withstood 7,500 cycles without any capacity loss, which is, if that's Very accurate, that's fantastic. I also, although, like, there are some obvious um, concerns, like the voltage. I don't know how exactly they're doing it or like how many stacks they're using, but they're saying, you know, this, the industry standard is one and a half volts, but the aluminum battery in a similar sort of configuration can't actually put out one and a half volts. What does it put? So out? that's gotta be put out two. Uh, it? This battery configuration. Yeah. But that depends on how many, whatever stacks you have in there. They were seeing one of the key things was the fact there was a graphite cathode, which which allowed it to have that capacity. Yeah, I've got it open. It's a yeah. it's a graphite cathode. Yeah, and that's like, you know, whatever. Huh. Um, well, it wasn't whatever to them. <laughs> that was the breakthrough. <laughs> 
Uh, Honestly, they tried a cathode until they found a lightweight one that worked well. Like, <laughs> woo! I mean, yeah, it, they put in a lot of effort, I'm sure, and it's very exciting, but... Research? What does that um, give us? Yeah, what has it ever done for anyone, right? <laughs> um, yeah, but so... Like, you have a cathode and an anode, and I think with a lot of the smaller batteries, you only have one of each you'd only have you know uh what do i want to say there's only one stack in series and they're getting one and a half volts out but if they can't get one and a half volts out with one stack like you're either going to have to use more batteries or just have a bigger battery with more stacks in series in it to get that voltage out which is fine if you can get a stable configuration out i'd be really curious to see like what the actual um you know half reactions are because like i mean compared to lithium another drawback of aluminum is it's pretty heavy although aluminum can handle a plus three ionization so if you're going from metallic aluminum to uh, aluminum plus three or aluminum three plus in that situation, it's actually not too far off of lithium for weight efficiency. Right. So lithium is it's uh, one charge per six atomic mass units or so. Yeah. I'm thinking. Yeah. But I just crunched some numbers briefly. Uh, the average weight of aluminum is almost 27 atomic mass units. And if that's by three, it's 8.6 repeating atomic mass units per charge, which is still heavier than lithium, but is still competitive. Right. So if it's actually going from zero to plus three, that's super exciting. But again, you'd have to see the half reactions, which it doesn't get into. Right. I, I bet there's a paywall that you could I bet there is. get through that you could find those half reactions. How would I get through a paywall? Well, like by, by paying, go no, on a university paying. campus. Oh, okay. Or go on a university campus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It might. So if anyone's willing to invest twenty-five to however much dollars to get through that, then let us know. <laughs> it's too bad open science isn't better. It isn't. Huh. Strange. Huh. Anyway. I'm trying to find, I'm trying to see actually how much the paywall is. <clears throat> Not because I'm going to go through it. I just want to know. That's unfortunate because you're, you're the lead on the next story, Rob. I know. Uh, okay. I'll give up on it. This is great listening right now. I'm giving up. So, um, Oh, <laughs> I'm trying to stall because I have to sneeze and I want to see if I can get through it without sneezing. It appears I have. Uh, so this next story I have is I've been following the story of Soylent, the, this sort of nutritional replacement powder slash make into a beverage. And apparently they've released – is that, is that a funny – It's the single greatest description of Soylent. <laughs> I'm it's not like trying... a nutritional powder or drink or like something. I don't know. <laughs> no, it's a powder that you make into a drink. And uh, so the new formula, which they're, I like that they're going like sort of tech speak and they're called, they call their formulas by 
uh, update numbers, version numbers. So this is Soylent 1.4. Is that cool? I think it is cool. I like okay. to think of my my food as being having updates. <laughs> I want like <laughs> it's like a I don't real, want the beta test. I don't want the beta test. This version. is a hardware update. <laughs> um, so the formula has changed, and the basically this formula used to be you'd get a pack of powder like a big pack and then you get a little vial of oil and you'd mix those together with water and you'd have soylent and you can add whatever you want you could add fruit if you wanted you could add i mean people added chocolate sauce or any number of things Um, but this latest one has replaced the fats the oils that you would get in your little in a little vial and instead mix them in with as solid fats solid oils and so you don't have to – it takes out one step of this mixing process as well as using – apparently it's healthier oils or it's better for you overall. And uh, another byproduct of this formula change is that it now no longer causes gastrointestinal distress. <laughs> there was a, a lot of complaints about people being very gassy after uh, eating it as well as complaints that that gas is noxious, <laughs> like extremely noxious. And apparently this has now fixed that problem. So I'm pretty excited. Really? Because I thought the biggest problem there was the, I think they're called oligosaccharides that you frequently find in beans like soy, which yeah. soy lint is based on. Um, like I, I thought that was the main culprit, but. Uh, apparently it was something to do with fiber that was causing. Um, yeah, those are oligosaccharides. Those are like they. They don't break down in the digestive system, really, like in the upper tract. They break down in the lower intestine, which is why it makes you toot. Right. And so they, they reduce the amount of fiber in in Soylent to something that's still healthy and is going to be useful to you, but is not. Okay. Because, uh... like, the other thing is, I mean, the only way to really get past that is to just deal with it all the time and eventually your gut flora will adjust yeah so how is soylent different than any other meal replacement it's cheap and it's all all the nutrition comes in one package that what like what meal replacement are you referring to right now just what's out there like i think most well, like this is yeah, go ahead. Nick. This is completely nutritionally balanced, which might be the difference. Yeah. So this is meant to be not like you can have this as part of your normal day. Like this can just be everything. You could literally only eat Soylent if you yeah. wanted to. Yeah. And I believe one of the authors he's talking about actually did that. He only ate so or he only ingested Soylent for a month. The guy himself did it for I think longer than a month. The- oh, did he? Yeah. But you're saying you okay. add fruit and stuff to it? You can. Like you can add you can add like chocolate sauce if you want a chocolate flavored soylent. You can add things to it, but this is intended to be able to replace everything you eat. Mm-hmm. Whereas something like a what I don't know what it is, insure, nutra something. Just yeah, boost or anything. It's those, a meal yeah. replacement, but it it doesn't replace all your nutrients. It just gives you like a a, a replacement for one meal. And I'm pretty okay. sure if you had those things all day, every day, you would probably get into your vitamin toxicities. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because they have a lot of the fat-soluble vitamins in there. Although I could be wrong. It just seems like a concern. Yeah. They also... Uh, 
they changed one of the sugars that it comes with, one of the carbs that it comes with to have to reduce the glycemic index of Soylent. So hopefully that'll be better for people's health as well. Keeps you full longer. Yeah. And they added more sodium because apparently people were getting uh, headaches. If they use only Soylent for a long time, they would get sodium deficiency headaches. Oh, yeah. I could see that. You know, I think, you know, we're talking about this and it sounds like they rely a lot on customer feedback. Yeah. For, and I think that's a good approach to just any sort of product or service is listen to your customers and, and modify and actually make those changes based on what people say about it. Like imagine if anyone who has a complaint about shreddies actually got taken seriously and they change stuff. Who has complained about shreddies? Shreddies are amazing. As an example. That's a bad example. (laughs) (laughs) This episode brought to you by post. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm I'm excited. Soylent hasn't come to Canada yet, but I, I would love to try it once it hopefully goes international. Uh, okay, Mike, you're up next. What's this story about uh, body armor? Well, going back on the people finding new ways to use liquids, yeah, they've uh, they've developed a body armor that takes advantage of the properties of a non-Newtonian fluid that absorbs the energy from sheer force. And uh, they've put basically a replaced Kevlar with this liquid. It doesn't go into detail what the liquid is, or at least I don't remember what it was. Um, But it dissipates the energy such that it's essentially 100% injury preventive because it not only protects you from the projectile itself but also the shock wave that it generates because um, mm. i guess with conventional kevlar uh, or at least certain varieties of it um, that you can still get fairly seriously injured if not killed by just even the shock wave even if it doesn't actually yeah. penetrate your body region um, so it can withstand impacts of up to 450 meters per second is what they uh, cited as the capabilities um i don't know what size of caliber ammunition that is but they didn't specify but i I, i'd imagine it's most at least small to medium arms it would protect against maybe not like a like a machine gun type thing but right um i don't it it sounds like a promising thing that uh could be implemented into police forces well and the military Um, and well, yeah, military yeah. too, obviously. Um, but yeah, I guess it's it's more lightweight. And it, it, I think the biggest thing that they were saying is that it, it protects against the shockwave aspect, not just the impact or penetration of the bullet. Right. Um, huh. And so this is using sounds neat. It's using yeah. non-Newtonian fluids. Yeah. To sort of like uh, like it, it hardens when it gets when it's impacted. Baking powder and water, whatever it corn is. starch and corn water. starch and water. It, so like baking you baking powder, powder and rub baking powder baking powder and water I rub remember. really it was a long time ago <laughs> when you the, know that those are both soluble salts rob i know no i knew it was wrong i just didn't know what the right thing was um yeah so Tisk. it's a liquid until it gets hit by something hard and then it can harden up and yeah. dissipate the shock yeah well i mean all fluids are non-newtonian just to varying degrees so this is very non-Newtonian fluid. That 
Is that true? That's nonsense. <laughs> that doesn't sound Most true. Most fluids are so close to Newtonian that you can model them as Newtonian. <laughs> but they're not. That's like saying I'm moving at relativistic speeds, but just <laughs> very slightly. <laughs> Look it up. <laughs> oh, all right. I went and looked it up. You just didn't see because I was moving so fast. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's like water is very slightly compressible, so it's technically non-Newtonian. Crazy. <laughs> Everything in physics isn't exact. <laughs> yeah. We're not all point charges in a vacuum, Rob. Well, there's no Spherical such thing cows. as a vacuum. Well, there's no – you can't have a vacuum. There's one molecule per square thousand meters. That's not a vacuum. Technically, it's not a vacuum. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Uh, Mike, anything Let's else to say on, on that? Yeah. We can move on. No, I think we're good. Okay. N- Nick, this story is literally just in here for you. Um, <laughs> Dell, uh, a, a while ago, at least a year or two ago, Dell uh, announced that it was going to start releasing one one of its computers loaded, preloaded with Ubuntu called the Developer Edition. And they recently announced an expansion of that line to one of their Dell XPS, the sort of the Ultrabooks. And mm-hmm. they're developing a whole line of computers available with Ubuntu pre-installed and with not only that, but also allowing you to get your own, um, to be able to specify things to your, like your RAM needs, your, if you need a video card. So there's a whole bunch as well as making sure that all the drivers and stuff that you need will are also available on like Fedora and Debian and other uh, Linux distributions. So I thought, I thought we should... I, I just wanted to get your thoughts and see if you would ever consider buying one of these laptops that comes pre-configured with Linux just so you don't have any anything to worry about. Absolutely. I actually looked into it when I bought this laptop now, but uh, I think there was like you could only get the developer edition in the States or something like that mm-hmm. or just whatever cost efficiency thing wasn't there. But I don't know. I think it's great because that's like that's the hardest part about switching to Linux is the fact that a lot of people don't want to spend a couple of weeks trying to get all the drivers to work properly. Yeah. Isn't that kind of like a rite of passage though, to like set up your partition and get it to dual boot properly? Well, I mean, effectively now, yes, but it shouldn't <laughs> yeah, have it shouldn't to be. Have I don't think. There. Uh, yeah. I mean, ideally if you want Linux to become mainstream, you can't because 99.99, like without getting into Nick uh, semantic territory, nobody wants say, literally to go 99% <laughs> of people won't do it. Yeah. I want to say a hundred percent of people won't do it, but Nick will get semantic on me and say that <laughs> there is a negligible. Percentage. There are like 1% of people that do it. <laughs> yeah, there are. Will, will Ubuntu still be cool if it goes mainstream? Always. Yeah. Just its openness. I think what's, will. what's, not cool about efficient resource management, Mike. I don't ask our hipster friends. <laughs> I, I don't really care what hipsters think. <laughs> Ubuntu on a solid state hard drive with a 1080 laptop screen would be unbelievably nice. Wouldn't it though? Yeah. It, uh, Especially if all the drivers were properly worked out beforehand. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you didn't have anything else to do, it would be great. Okay, that's all I wanted to say on that. It was uh, pretty short. Mike, there's a really weird story here. What's going on? (laughs) 
it's kind of like the telescope thing, but on the other end of the scale, where they've it's it's not the biggest telescope, but it's, it's the a, smallest computer. A really small telescope. They've made a very small telescope. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're calling it a microscope. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right so what is this <laughs> not nearly as cool as that <laughs> no <laughs> uh it's a it's a computer the size of a grain of rice and uh i think they're using a very uh pedantic definition of a computer where they they go out of the way to clarify that the definition of a computer is it takes an input does something with it and gives an output that's essentially their the definition they're going on okay um so, so the it's, technical it's, definition right not our conventional definition of hey i got you a new computer to uh, say you know <laughs> technically correct is the best kind of correct <laughs> i think it's the worst kind of correct <laughs> uh but i think i think it's more just i don't i don't i don't think there's any it's basically a sensor that uses solar power to power itself and uh it has the capability to store and manipulate data so it's it's a i believe it's a light sensor and maybe a pressure sensor um but i don't know i just thought it was cool that we're trying to do a bunch of different stuff with scaling technology and i don't know people might find an application for it somewhere um but i don't know i guess if you can go smaller then why not yes what I always say. And, you know, they kind of get into a discussion of that one of the biggest hurdles of. <laughs> what a weird thing to the, say. Sorry, all the dirty jokes <laughs> yeah. to mind. One of the biggest hurdles is uh, power and keeping it small <laughs> while still being <laughs> practical for what you need. <laughs> it's the size of a grain of rice and that's a good thing. <laughs> uh. No, it is it is really cool that they have well, it says here one millimeter squared solar cell that produces enough power to power it yeah. under ambient light. Yeah. I'm thinking so. about that and I'm like, how big are those junctions? Like honestly? Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, but I don't guess it, it works and they have it, so well we'll see who uses that sort of application in the future. It's interesting that it produces we're talking about energy production in nanowatts yeah that's uh yeah yeah what was it oh this nano amps also nano nano watts all of it i guess oh yeah 20 nanowatts (laughs) yeah Yeah, they're right yeah so like 10 joules how does that work i don't think that's 10 joules is it 10 joules a second or 10 nano joules a second yeah yeah 20 nano joules a second yeah yeah 20 yeah sure Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> All right. On to the next story. <laughs> Whoops. This one, this one I honestly put in because I was writing an IFTTT recipe and I wanted to see if it worked. But I also like, I really like talking about poop. And I think the concept of fecal transplants to cure diseases by gut flora is so cool. I feel we've talked about this already. We actually talked about this exact case. This was... When I said earlier that I had a couple of this isn't news interjections, like this was, this isn't news. I think we talked about this very concept. This is literally the start of our poop segue. But we're talking. Yeah, we, we talked about C. difficile. But this is new evidence. 
So this would be follow-up then, really. They, yeah, they've been treating C. difficile with fecal transplants yeah. for how long now? No, but now like, they're saying I think successfully. Decades. Oh, so the, the treatment <laughs> that's been apparently successful for literal decades <laughs> has new evidence in support of it. Yeah, like I said, I, I, I was on this story and I like reading stories about um, gut flora. New and, uses for poop. And I was testing out an IFTTT recipe and it worked. And so this story ended up in the notes and I really like it. And I just think that it, there's a couple things in society, like in North American society, that we think are weird but are extreme, could be extremely beneficial. One of them is eating bugs. Like eating insects oh, absolutely. Are, would be amazing for our nutrition, but it's weird. And uh, I think fecal transplants is another one that if, if we got over how weird it was to have someone else's poop put in you to cure you, then I think we'd be able to help a lot of people out. Have Have you ever seen pictures of like actual fecal transplant stuff? I think I saw it once. It was like it, they were clear capsules and everything. They just, oh, it looks gross. <laughs> you you know what I find interesting is when you have like the colonoscopy cams that show like the clean colon. Yeah. Like it's very clean. It do, It is very but clean. I, I don't want to see what it looks like when it's dirty. <laughs> I wonder. And I can. Yeah. Yeah. It's not. Well, they give you a drug to clean it out before. No, exactly. Oh, well, the, a big jug of stuff to drink and make you all squeaky. Is that the barium enema? Is that what we're talking about yeah, right now? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Although I have heard, like, because I know people who have done it, and the doctors actually told them, like, listen, the directions actually tell you to, like, mix this up in, in a bunch of water and then take it. But honestly, there's no way you can get through that much of that horrible flavor. <laughs> so what I recommend doing is just shooting the the drug and then chugging that that much water to chase it. It's like, oh, that's actually honestly, pretty smart. Honestly, like most human adults in Western society anyway, have been trained to take shots yeah. and know that it will taste awful. But they can just chase it with something else and it'll be fine afterwards. Chase it with water to get rid of the taste. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, like, yeah, if you just frame it as a shot. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> that's why I don't get, like, people who drink coffee don't want to do espresso or something like that. And be like, you can just shoot it if you're really averse to it. They're like, but I don't want to shoot it. It'll taste bad. I'm like, that's what a shot does is. Does anyone actually want to shoot tequila? Yeah. Like, actually? I like the taste of shots. Well, then why were you shooting it? I like that this Stronger? is where this conversation went. Oh. It's like the it's the sensation of the I've shot. I've kind of wanted to drink tequila. Just like Jack Daniels is pretty good shot. Although I've sorry, there's two things to t- talk about now. Uh tequila, I've actually had shout out to uh Dr. Matt. Um he actually introduced me to some really good tequila and it was like we shot it and it was just, it was very pleasurable. It was very nice. Hmm. Not did not want to suck on a lime. I've always wanted to try just a drink of tequila rather than a shot. Cause I, I didn't find it all that unpleasant. They've, they've already invented margaritas, Rob. No, I mean like not, not mixed with anything. Just the tequila. Yeah. Like, because if it truly tastes good, why do you need to exactly. shoot it? Right? Like just well, doesn't that just seem as like whiskey with water? Like 
people just drink whiskey with yeah. or vodka with water. water or vodka and water. Yeah. Honestly, once you've diluted vodka, what's the point? Yeah. <laughs> like you're just trying to get drunk at that. Yeah. Point. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that the whole goal anyways? Like even ice, it's like alcohol with some trace sugars and things like that and water. Yep. So add more water. Where is that going to get you? Yeah. I like that. That's where that story ended up. It was not a waste to have it in there. <laughs> <laughs> a waste. Oh no, that was that was so unintentional. Uh, Mike, uh, what's you want to wrap us up here for the beginning of season two? What's the last story you got here? Uh, this is a, I guess, kind of more of a fluff piece, but uh, <laughs> it. Uh... <laughs> oh no, these puns are getting looser and looser. <laughs> They, uh, there's a story that came up, Mike. <laughs> there's a story that came across my feed regarding a divorce settlement or divorce uh, alert. Divorce. Do you have a, a Google alert for divorces? <laughs> it. Uh, Is there anything you want to talk to us about, Mike? <laughs> In my keyword search, no. <laughs> there's a. Uh, there's news of a Facebook message. That was alerting the husband of a divorce that she wanted to file for divorce. And generally you serve the documents through whatever means to the person directly. But I guess in this case, they'd gotten married in Ghana, I think it was. And they never actually ended up living together at any point. So now she wants to divorce, but the guy doesn't want to divorce. And he's unreachable and he has no fixed address or anything. And so the only way to get a hold of them is through Facebook Messenger. And this went to the courts and they ruled that it was a valid way to serve the divorce notice through Facebook Message. Yeah. I like uh, so, another good reason for Facebook Messenger to exist. It's true. That's it's, actually like I'm not uh, – that's actually really interesting I actually had a conversation with some law students about serving papers and it's, yeah. Like if there's no other way to do it, then usually a judge will say, well, yeah, if they're being a jerk about it, like, and you know that you can reach them somehow. Cause like, I guess a, a new development is that you can consider someone served if you touch them with the document. Hmm. Like, that's relatively new. When my grandfather was sheriff, like, they had to, if the person wouldn't physically take the papers from them, you could throw down the papers on the ground in front of them, and then you had to go through a spiel, which was, like, in the name of the Queen and (laughs) Prince Edward County or something like that. You've been served. In the name of the Lord! (laughs) Well, no, it's the queen, Mike, because she's the executive branch of our government. Gotcha. I'm picturing now, like, shooting someone with an arrow, like, from long distances with the, with the papers attached. Well, it touched them. Or, it's like, the- and then you, like, pull the scroll off the, damn it. You could do the paper airplane route and then just oh, kind of, yeah. like, throw it from across the room. That would be great. Yeah. Watch for that in a legal precedent near you. <laughs> Drone delivery? Just have them oh, airdrop it yeah. onto the person? That would be perfect. Yeah. Uh, that's, I'm excited that people are starting to use 
silly things like Facebook, well, 10 years ago, it was silly. 10 years ago may not have even existed, but it was about to be silly. No. Uh, and we're using it for real things now, like real legal. This is a legally binding thing that a judge said, go ahead and use Facebook for this. Yeah. I'm excited to have reached the future. Yeah, I agree. Actually, though, I really am. Is there anything else we want to talk about? Nope. All right. Is, is this episode not sponsored by Audible? This episode is sponsored by Audible, and uh, but first I'd like to he thank people. With that. I, first, I'd like to thank people for listening to the debut of season two of Future Chat, and I would like to thank Audible.com for helping to support the podcast. Uh, don't forget to help us out as well as them by visiting AudibleTrial.com/unwind right now to start a free thirty-day thirty-day trial with a free audiobook. Uh, we'll be back next week with more science and tech talk. In the meantime, if you have a few minutes today. What I'm going to do today is suggest people go check out our other shows on unwindmedia.com. And you can find past episodes of this show and more at futurechat.me on the web. See you guys next time. Toodaloo. Ciao. Bye. Bye.